0: Hello, this is former Fox Sports Wisconsin anchor and proud fellow Wauwatosen Jeff Grayson. From my position high in the booth, it appears conditions are good for this much-anticipated matchup. Let's go down to the studio. The action is about to start. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Switch Podcast. My name is Chris Beyer, as always, with my co-host, Jim Martin. Jim. Hello, all of our fans out there. Tonight's guest is actually a brother of uh, a common friend of ours, Sean Snowpack. He's a longtime musician. It's uh, a Milwaukee-based musician, Sigmund Snowpack. If you followed the Milwaukee music scene from, say, the late 60s till today even, uh, you knew his name because he was a hardworking musician. You saw his name all the time at Summerfest, uh, on all the bills with, over the years. Yep. Yep. He's an icon uh, here. He's been doing this so long. I wonder if he feels on the top of his craft after all these years. You know, one theory is that the older musicians, like, say, blues musicians, are even better when they get older. Sure. Yeah. And then sure other be. people say, hey, they want to catch him when they're at their peak, You know, when they're young, when the young man's game. Uh, I remember a story, maybe you heard this uh, some years back, when Mick Jagger, he had like a heart attack. Mick Jagger
1: did? I thought he was indestructible, but okay. Yeah, no, he had some heart
0: condition, and the radio announcer said, you know, that he's back and better than ever, and he'll go on tour. And I'm thinking at 75, probably not better than ever. Better than ever, yeah. Better than he's (laughs) ever been.
1: Yeah, this yeah season, I'm, At the peak of his game, 75. Uh, you know, I don't know if he would want to hear that. Maybe. I don't know. I, wonder what I would I would
0: have rather seen 25-year-old Mick Jagger, but maybe 75-year-old Mick Jagger's better. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, musically, he might be better. You know, he might be. Although he's a singer, right? He's done not, not too much of the guitar stuff. But I don't know. The energy level's got to be a little bit lower, right? Do you think? 75? I don't know.
0: You know, I went to see the Stones on that particular tour, you know, the one where he had the heart problem. Hmm. And he was leaning on one of those poles that hold an IV drip.
1: Oh sure, yeah. It makes it takes a little bit away from the show.
0: That was yeah. hardly a vintage performance, right? But, sure. Well, yeah. did, did he have the heart? He didn't have the heart attack at the show. Did he? No, no, no. Yeah. But uh, Keith, Keith Richards. Oh yeah. His life alert cord kept getting caught in his guitar cord. That's a pain. Yeah. yeah. That was a problem. Right. And right. then you know they got interference with the radio control from the life alert. And- sure.
1: Did they get the high pitched whine? Yeah.
0: They played the song, Shattered. It took a little different significance after yeah. what happened to the drummer's hip. I have a story, right. a, Keith, a Keith Richards story. <laughs> hey, that's our guest who's, who's chiming in. Wait, we're almost there. It's He's like, at the right.
1: He wants to get um,
0: in. I would like to welcome our guest who's been chiming in here. He was supposed to stay silent, but he can't stay silent. <laughs> yeah. It is Milwaukee musician, Milwaukee musician legend. Sigmund Snowpack. Welcome Sigmund. Welcome. Hey, it's
2: great to be here. Yeah, hello.
0: V Gates.
1: Oh, <laughs> the
2: high fish. The hotze. The trick Him That's a little Mac the knife in German. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <Are> you <laughs> from the old and actually what? Are you from the old country? No, I was born in, in Milwaukee at uh, I think Saint Joseph's Hospital. Oh really? Just down
0: the street from us? As was I. You're Sigmund the third. So you got your unique name from your dad who got it from his dad.
2: From his dad. Yes. And, um, I, I had a couple of jobs throughout my career. The, my, the most fun job I had involving music was picking up the luggage of rock, famous rock stars. So oh, wow. my roommate, my roommate owned a limousine service, but the, the luggage was always, they, they had vast amounts of suitcases. that would never fit in. They don't want it in, in the limo. So there I was driving uh, Keith Richards' luggage to the uh, Playboy Club where they, they could rent out uh, houses to live in. He had his own house. So I, I took – whoops, there goes the cat. <coughs> I picked up his luggage and uh, I went went out to the Playboy Club. I, f- I had to find out which house he was in. And I went in there. I uh, knocked on the door. And he opened the door. He was oh. the only guy there. Oh, I said, Keith, where, where do you want your luggage? Uh, put it over there. And that's all they said to me. That's it, huh? I, waited, yeah. I waited for a tip. Usually they tip $20. In those days, that was a lot of money. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's my Keith Richards story. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Put it David, over there. Da- it. Da- David Bowie always had 90 pieces of luggage. Uh, Rudy yep. Valley, he saw the limousine and he saw me with my blue van, my old uh, Ford 3 on the tree. And he looked at me and said, I'm going with you. And I said, what? I'm not going in the limousine. I'm going with you. Okay, Okay. so I spent the whole week with Rudy Valley. In fact, I have a picture in the other room with his autograph on it. Cool.
0: Did you, the musician, start first, or were you inspired by carting around these uh, musicians?
2: Uh, Everybody in the 60s started because of the Beatles. Oh, okay. Everybody wanted to be in a rock band. You could, in Waukesha, on a weekend, you could walk around the whole city, and you would hear rock bands playing. They were mostly on the south side because... The parents, the kids were richer there, sure. So their their parents could buy them and you know, all the instruments they needed. I finally got a, a Vox organ, which I had in the sixties. Um, my parents would didn't want me to get it, even though we had a somebody that offered to pay for it, and uh, my parents weren't into that at that point. Anyhow, um, so I've, you know what a Vox organ is? Have you seen one? Yeah. It's got the reverse keys. The white keys are black. The black keys are white, and it's the the. Um, Organ that the Dave Clark Five used.
0: Wow, it's still operational. Do Not you much. think the Walker Show was even more of a band crazy town because of the connection with Les Paul?
2: Surprisingly enough, none of us knew that we we knew this was a Les Paul guitar. Our music teachers never said a word about him. Now, I don't know if it was because they were jealous of him, or they thought he was a bad influence on other musicians. Hmm. But no, it wasn't until years later that we figured out that, hey, Les Paul is from Waukesha. (laughs) um, He's he's gone now, too. He's buried here in Waukesha.
0: Yeah. I've been to the gravesite. I happened to be out that when I stopped over. And and I think a relative of his, if I'm not mistaken, went by and was tending the gravesite, and she gave us some guitar picks uh, later, Les Paul.
2: Uh, I, I would imagine he had souvenir guitar picks he gave
0: out to people. Yeah, you know, I did a little research on you here today, and I found on uh, the Wikipedia page that the first band, kind of the big band that you're in, was the Bloomsbury People, right? Was that Blooms,
2: it? yeah, Bloomsbury. It's B L O O M S B U R Y, and yeah, it was. We got signed to MGM Records. The name Bloomsbury. There's a a portion of London, London, England. It's called Bloomsbury, and it's where all the first hippies hung out. Virginia Woolf. and and other people that alternative culture people, and that that started up. And so we decided our English teacher at UWW said that would make a great name for a band, (laughs) and I said, yeah, you know, it would. And so there Mm -hmm. we were on MGM Records touring around the United States, and we we played on the same day, the same night as Jimi Hendrix. That was a, a memorable experience. Oh, I'll bet. We, we we played in the afternoon. We played part of one of my one of my first symphonies. And our, our other material later on that night, my brother Jay and I went down to back to the, the stage. In those days, it wasn't like like it is now. The stage was just a, a stage. Everybody put on their lights on their cars so we could see what was going on. <laughs> but Procol Harum came on at midnight. And then Jimi Hendrix came on at 3 in the morning with the Star-Spangled Banner. And I'll never forget that. We were down there with the Bloomsbury people.
0: What town was this?
2: Uh, Macon, Georgia. It was called the Atlanta Pop Festival. They made a movie of it, and it, it has come up. but now I think they're, they're going to be making another one soon. And speaking of movies, they're making a movie of my life, too, right now, which is going to be a lot of fun. Actually, we've been working on it for two years. The pandemic kind of uh, slowed, slowed the production down. but Sure.
0: Yeah, okay. You said they. They are making a uh, documentary. Who's they?
2: Uh, the f- film company, Nick, Nick Noti. What does is, what is he call this film company today? Just Nick Noti and Bob Melkey who wrote the book. He and, and Bob Melkey who wrote this book that I'm fortunate enough to be in. Let's see if I can remember all the people that are in it. Um, James Brown, Neil Young, oh, no. Yoko Ono. Um, you can tell I'm getting old here. <laughs> what a- you can't remember it. it's. There's so much stuff to remember. The older you get, the older you get. Yeah. yeah.
0: So what was the zenith of the Bloomsbury people career? Was what, what, that festival or? Uh, mainly we played uh, colleges and, and festivals. And
2: a couple couple of nightclubs, downtown Milwaukee, there was a club called The Scene. And we were young kids, and uh, we came to a point where we couldn't stand each other, and then we broke up, which is <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of typical, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it can
0: be, yeah. I listened to some songs, very psychedelic. Maybe yeah. uh, the organ reminded me a lot of The Doors.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, The Bloomsbury People actually started before The Doors, but it was a fun band. I, I sometimes wish I hadn't uh, put, it, put it to rest. Our managers went on to manage. Um, they managed Jim Croce, Karen Carpenter, Sam Kittison. you see a pattern here? They're all dead, right? Was- <laughs> and then I, I realized that these these guys might be taking life insurance, and I think they did take life insurance out on on rock stars. No in kidding. Yeah, case. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, it's a big investment for the manager. Well, I suppose that's true. I think that's just something that I imagined, but, but I had to write a symphony, so I I didn't I quit the band, or the band. You no, know, that that band kind of just blew up. Some oh. great musicians on it. Yeah, the Bloomsbury people uh, morphed into just Sigmund Snowpack, and uh, you can get that on the Virginia Wolf album, that's been re-released several times.
0: So then you form this band, your uh, eponymous band, with your name in it. In Milwaukee, your uh, the Snowpack band name was on every that was- Summerfest that I ever saw. And I talked to your brother. He said you opened a lot for the the comedy uh, stage.
2: Yeah, that happened. Um- my my roommate at the time, Joel Gast, uh, worked for Summerfest, and that was 1975. It was, was the first year that that we were doing it, and uh, they needed a band to open before the comedian, and um, so we were like the opening. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Jay Leno. So I got to know Jay real well. In fact, Jay's going to be in the movie about me. No kidding. And yeah, well, oh, that's cool. It's, it was cool. It's. Um, worked with them. The, the name of that band was Snowpeck. There's been some, some of the guys in the band, one in particular was irritated about the fact that the band was, the name was changed to Snowpeck, but that is a specific band that played music that I wrote and that Byron we- Weeman wrote the, the the lyrics for. In some cases, uh, he also helped with the lyrics, but we, we went all over the place and got a couple record deals again. Mm-hmm. And th- thinking out loud, first band on the moon, uh, Roy Rogers meets Albert Einstein. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Also, there's an album that was uh, released after the band uh, broke up, um, Voodoo Dishes. And then I made an album with a UXB, um, like a funk album. You can hear some of these on the internet. If you go and search my name or go to my website, Sure, you can, you can see stuff. And make sure you check out Byron's wonderful lyrics that, that I, I set to music. SigmundSnowpec.com, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. How would you describe your styles over the years? I said psychedelic. What would you say?
2: The French call me the father of progressive rock, which is I have some of my CDs released by Museo Records, and they sent them to 90 countries around the world. Wow. And then at the same time, I was developing a career as a classical composer, going to UWM and working with John Downey,
0: You're a multi-instrumentalist?
2: Yeah, I play woodwinds, keyboards, and brass. When you study music at school to write for orchestra, you have to really uh, understand how all the instruments work, what their ranges are, the low note, the high note, to what they sound like texturally, and then listen to other people's uh, orchestrations to kind of uh, eventually develop your own style. Sure. That's
1: a world I don't understand. It's fascinating to me.
2: (laughs) My second symphony, I sat in the basement of the UWM library and wrote all the parts. I just had them You had a. You couldn't use a piano. You had to use your your um, knowledge of how the instruments worked and how they blended. Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, uh, I was. And yeah. so there's a, a list of 101 of my contemporary compositions. That list is also on the website. Check it out. It's under the, the um, name of um, uh, premieres. You find wow. that the, the older you get. I mean, if you write a hundred compositions, I can't even remember some of them. Some sure, of sure, uh, sure. You have to get up every day and and review things. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I yeah. also have I have a large piece called the the aura, Cosm twenty three. It's an oratorio to the Earth for Earth Day that hasn't been performed yet, and I hope to get that done before uh, I pass on. Wow. I have um, an Irish opera that I wrote and my several songs. And then a double fugue based on the 11th chapter of Ulysses by James Choice. Those are also, you can hear those on the internet.
0: Uh, Going forward now into the 80s, uh, you started working uh, with some other local musicians. You mentioned the Violent Femmes. uh, Mm -hmm.
2: I met them here in Milwaukee. They're a couple of jovial fellows. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, there's three of them. But I actually ended up playing with them by moving to Europe. And I was in Amsterdam getting all set to, well, I sat, I sat, toured with them. And then they said, Sig, you can't just stay here. Come come, come back with us. Come back to Milwaukee. So I did. And it was fantastic. Wow. So. Yeah, that's cool. What, so, did you, what did you play? What did I play? Yeah. We, they had a horn section. So I, I played flute, bass clarinet, trombone. Uh, basically, anything I could get my hands on that might want that might work with the band, and then it was also our job to put together a, a, a horn section for every gig. the The opening act would be playing, and we'd pick people out of the audience and tell show them the parts, and they would come up and play with us. And uh, I that went on. My career with them went on for 20 years, off and on. For, I wasn't wow. with them all the time.
1: Oh no, kidding!
2: But oh, it, was, cool. it was it was it was the big time. We were on the rock buses. Sure. You know, we we played at Carnegie Hall. I'm one of the few people to play a Carnegie Hall and a bowling alley in West Bend in the same month.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who's the other? I think it was Prince. Uh, Mick Jagger.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I thought it was uh, the Moody Blues.
0: Did the Femmes open for a big name when you were with them?
2: They had already uh, nurtured their career enough that they were
0: becoming the main act. Oh, yeah. How about the Bodines? Did you work with them at all? Uh, you
2: know, I have this. here's another funny story. Sammy Lannis lived over the hill from us in Waukesha. So he used to play with my brother Randy on the back porch of our house.
0: So you worked with a lot of musicians here in, in the Milwaukee area. hmm. Music has been your solo gig, right? You don't have an other day job. You're just. No, new- it's been my solo five. gig. Or uh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I taught
2: for a while. I taught at the Conservatory of Music for four years. Oh, okay. So,
1: Chris, when you uh, you know when you write a hundred symphonies, you're pretty much doing music all the time.
2: I would think. Yeah.
0: I'd imagine. Well, yeah, I'd imagine, but I'm just curious. <laughs> it wasn't a hundred a hundred symphonies. Uh,
2: there, it's eight symphonies. Then there's solos for flute. Oh, okay. Uh, wood, Woodwind okay. quintet, string quartet, so electronic music studio um, solos. I had one of my compositions. Uh, want to place a performance in Nashville in my mid twenties. Playing electronic music, you can, you can hear that uh, composition on Virginia Woolf uh, on the later version of Virginia Woolf. Nice, but yeah, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't 101 Symphonies. I think um, Handel did that, or maybe Mozart.
0: The comp- composers: uh, Mount Rushmore, uh, that's Mozart, right, <laughs> Mopec.
2: I forgot to mention James Mahan, one of my teachers, also.
1: Oh, hey. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: he taught at South Campus. And of course, yeah. Don Stimpert and and John Downey. Then we belong. We had a uh, Wisconsin Contemporary Music Forum. It's a consortium of uh, composers that, that from Wisconsin. That's they put on concerts. Cool. Yeah.
1: Um, so the last year with COVID and everything going on. Um. obviously not a lot of not a lot of live entertainment happening and i know you guys kind of had the movie thing in the works uh it sounds mm-hmm. like but that even sounds like it yeah of course you know everything's just really been
2: yeah things are obviously so wh- things things are starting to pop a little also yeah
1: right so what have you been up to for the like this past year um
2: uh, i've been sleeping a lot <laughs> okay
1: good good catching
2: up i'm sure on that right? catching up and, and organizing stuff and realizing oh my god i played almost four or five times a a week. No wonder I'm so tired. Right, right. <laughs> I needed this year to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So it's just kind of reorganizing things, and I want to get these larger pieces put together. Mm-hmm. And we I, we did some of the work on the uh, film.
0: So, Sigmund, when do you expect that movie to come out? I, I would l- like to think maybe by the end of uh,
2: the summer. We'll see what the Spamdemic has for us.
0: And then are you planning on going to Summerfest this year? I probably will. Well, Sigmund, t- t- thanks for being on our show. Thanks God, to your brother as well for setting this up.
1: Great to see you. Great,
0: Great to see, see you. Yeah. See you.
1: Bye-bye. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch Podcast with our guest, Milwaukee Magazine Executive Editor, Chris Drosner, when we ask him to take a headcount at his house.
0: My, I did. I did a few pieces for it, but one of my favorites was, well, certainly my favorite was last year we got it. We've got a a ten-year-old in the house here, and hopefully yours. Yeah, yeah, he's ours. Um, (laughs) Just uh, have one later. Just (laughs) checking. Yeah, sometimes it's right. I'm gonna check the Amber Alerts in the neighborhood, Jim. (laughs) I'll be right back. You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast.
1: Spread the word.